For the 14th episode, my guest is Sarah Gustafson, known on Instagram as Just a Cooking Canada. Sarah lives in the great white north of Calgary, Alberta, and is a member of a number of cookbook clubs and collabs. We have several Instagram friends in common, most notably Hale of Turkish Tale, the guest of episode number 10. Sarah, welcome to Ate the World podcast. Thank you, Rob. I'm looking through your Instagram pages and all the pictures are beautiful. I've noticed there seems to be one thread that's through a lot of them and that's cookbooks. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship with cookbooks and how that influenced the kind of dishes that you've cooked and presented? 2020 shifted things a little bit for me. I did not really blog before. I did like 2006, 2008, maybe even before that, but that was before Instagram, I believe. So when I started posting my food and then cooking a bit of Autolenghi, somehow I came across Hallie and a bunch of other people that like to cook Autolenghi and it just kind of exploded for me. I have a lot of Autolenghi cookbooks. I didn't always cook from them as frequently, but now I have been and I'm, I'm loving it. I mean, his food is so good. So what came first, the cookbook, the trip to Turkey or seeing other people cook Autolenghi food? I went to Turkey in 2012. So I've been cooking longer than that. I guess, what do you mean exactly? I mean, Odalengi seems to occupy, you know, a lot of attention and some of the, and it was new to me. So I didn't know about Odalengi's cookbooks before I interviewed Holly. Oh. And then when I looked through your profile, you seem to be an old hand at this. So what was your initial exposure? Okay. So I don't remember the year exactly, but it was shortly after Jerusalem came out. And one of my really good friends, Andrew, we worked at the same um, engineering firm. I was the librarian there. And uh, he got this, we all got our parcels delivered to the office because it was easier. And I go into his office. I'm like, oh, what is this beautiful cookbook? And that was the first I heard of Otto Lange, and I've never looked back. Interesting. What year would you think that was? You know, maybe it was like eight years ago or something. I haven't worked there for five years, so it's hard to remember. So much has happened since then. It was around the time that you went to Turkey. Yeah, I guess it was. The dish that you suggested that we make is a cauliflower cake. And I saw that you posted this a while ago, earlier in the year. That's right. Tell me why it was important to you and talk a little bit about the dish itself. Sure. Well, and to begin, you know, when you first asked, I thought, oh, I should probably share a family recipe. And it's not that I don't have a, any family recipes. It's just that Autolenghi has been so important in my path and becoming, you know, the cook that I am. The cauliflower cake. So I don't remember the first time I made that, but it was probably one of my most successful and surprising Autolenghi recipes. Like I know I made some lentil recipes, but the cauliflower cake is quite impressive. You know, it's beautiful and um, it feels really nice to be able to create something like that. I think the picture that I posted on Instagram may have been the time that I made it for a friend when her her stepdad passed away. So, it, you know, it's a special dish. It's a food gift to give someone when you're just maybe trying to show them that you care, but also just something nice to have around the house, of course. And I guess that's why I picked it, just because of Otto Lenghi's role in my, my own path. The dish basically starts as softened, boiled cauliflower mixed in a heavy egg batter, but seasoned with basil and uh, sauteed onions and a bunch of different spices, basically. Yeah, it has that turmeric in it to give it that beautiful color. I used dill this time around because, you know, why not? I'm not sure if I've ever done the sesame and nigella seed coating on the outside. 
just because I'm lazy or because I was being stingy with my sesame seeds or didn't have any. It's just one extra step that looks beautiful, but I think, you know, omitting it does not take away at all from the dish. I did the sesame seed and I used celery seed as well, just for the the difference in color. Okay. You you know, it's two bites out of the whole dish. So it doesn't really change the texture as much as, you know, putting, substituting dill for basil would have made a big difference. Mm -hmm. I haven't tried it yet. It's still hot out of the oven. I got up this morning and the first thing I did besides giving my son some food was, well, put the coffee on and then uh, boil those cauliflower florets and uh, sauteed the onion which was a nice way to start the day. Our house smelled really good from the onion. It's a funny choice, um, but actually it's a very kind choice for a gift to give someone who's grieving because it's, it's, I think it's substantial in a way that a purely sweet cake isn't. So it's it feels nourishing. And also eating it the next day is almost as good as eating it the first day. So it doesn't decline in, in value. That's right. What a conscientious gift. Food is always so important um, when someone takes the time to cook something for you. I mean, any gift is wonderful if someone's thought about you, but I feel like food, it takes a, a bit more effort. You know, people are usually that much more careful and they're so proud to give it to you. And uh, that's what I miss the most during COVID is being able to cook for people. Um, it's just such a nice way to show people you care about them. We're all struggling to figure out what our new connections are in this COVID era. And one of the things that I found so remarkable about going through your Instagram feed is how deep you dove into the book clubs and the cookbook clubs and the collabs. Can you talk about how that started? And for people who don't know what a cookbook club is, what's the process and, and how well do you get to know the your fellow collaborators? Sure. So, you know, some people like uh, Deb from Rainy Day Bites would pick, you know, typically a cookbook a month, maybe a sweet one that goes over two months. And with a couple, you know, weekends where you might choose one or two specific recipes. So it's really fun to throughout the month, just pick recipes from a certain cookbook if you have it or if you can find the recipes online and to contribute and to see what all of your other cooking friends are doing. And you definitely find patterns like people maybe like vegetarian food or they love autolenghi. That's the biggest one. I always make sure that I that I take the time to check out my my Instagram friends' accounts and see what they've been cooking. And there's other collabs where, you know, so in January we did a soup one, the souped up collab where there was a different color of soup that you would post every week. And to be honest, there's so many collabs that I find it a bit overwhelming. And I want to participate in a lot, but I don't have the time all the time. I try, I've started marking it on like a paper calendar in my kitchen. So I can kind of think, okay, like don't post this one yet. Save this leafy green one for this week. And then when you see people that you, that you know better on Instagram setting up new collabs, I definitely try to take part to, to support them you know, just so they can, it can be successful. And also just because it's fun. Mima Lee, um, Mimi A was talking at the end of the last podcast about a cookbook club where people would actually get on a zoom call and like a big show and tell, you know, and talk through the dish. So there was the interaction of the dish that you made and, your, and an opportunity beyond the description or the picture that you took have a bit more personal connection. Have you gone that far with some of these collabs? I have, but only with people who I really know, friends and family, typically from back home or from my past. So I have a Facebook account and my Instagram account, and it's very different people. All of my family lives in Fort Francis, Ontario, which is located on the border of Minnesota, halfway between Thunder Bay and Winnipeg. So it's it's in the bush. And I moved here 22 years ago to go to school. So I don't have any family here besides my own family and my husband and my son. 
So it's been really nice to connect with those people over Facebook, though, and do some cooking, some cook-alongs, I call them. So basically, I repost everything on Instagram, on Facebook. Friends and family from back home or other people that I've known throughout my life are on Facebook. I'm like, if you want to cook something, you know, pick a recipe. And we pick a day and we have everything prepped before we meet online. And then I just kind of lead them through it. Or, and we chat and have, you know, have a glass of wine as we go along. That's awesome. I saw in one of your posts that you were from Fort Francis and I'd never heard of it. So I looked it up. Mm-hmm. My imagining of Ontario, Ontario is a lot like New York, that everyone thinks you mean Manhattan. And then there's the whole rest of New York State. Yes. But it's just even more so because I, I just did a quick Google map to see if I wanted to drive from uh, Fort Francis to uh, Toronto, how long it would take. And it was something like 17 hours. Yeah, it takes longer to drive to Toronto from my hometown than it does to Calgary, which is a few provinces over. Ontario is really big. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? So like I've only been to Toronto once when I was like nine. Is there a closer relationship with Minnesota just because of the river and International Falls and all that? Um, definitely with International Falls because they're both small towns. And, uh, you know, crossing the border before 9-11 was, well, it's still quite easy, but it was like nothing then. So I, I took ballet class on the American side. I had some American friends. I used to take speed swimming as a kid when our pool was shut down for maintenance. We would just cross the border and swim over there. People frequently before COVID and stuff would just shop on either side. We didn't have a movie theater after a certain age growing up. So if you wanted to go see a movie, you cross the border and go see a movie. And is there a big Swedish contingency in Fort Francis? There's a pretty sizable one, yes, along with Ukrainians and Finns. There must have been a time period where a lot of people moved there. Because I saw in your Instagram page, you sneak in a lot of um, Swedish baking recipes, like the anise bread, the little ease, and some of the other dishes that came from that side of the family. Can you talk a bit about it? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, So... Um, In one of my posts, I detail it. I can't remember which one, but my dad's grandfather and grandmother, Charles and Selma, came to Canada at some point and had my grandfather, Evald, in Fort Francis. Um, He was, for his family, he was the only one that left Sweden. All the rest stayed in and around Karlstad. And we did actually get to meet some Swedish cousins a few years ago, which was really cool because we didn't even know. We didn't know anything about them because none of us speak Swedish anymore. And I think just over the years, the the communications just kind of dropped by the wayside. So Swedish cooking has always been in my life, especially at holidays. My grandma, Emily, not Swedish, but learned to cook many dishes for my grandfather. We assume she probably learned them from her mother-in-law. You know, the Swedish rye bread was always present in the Christmas season. Pickled herring is another big one. My mom hates it, but she she makes it for my dad and for other people in the community that like it. A sil salad, which is like a it's a salted herring beet potato boiled egg salad that you pour cream on is always served at Christmas in my parents' house. When I have been there, I try it, but I don't like it. But people who like it love it. So, And are you getting the ingredients? Because Fort Francis is really, really inland. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not even close to, to the Atlantic. So the herring comes salted. Oh, okay. So you have to rinse it. Like it's kind of stiff when you take it out and you rinse it really well. And then you would, uh, the head's already off and it's gutted. So you just fillet it and then cut it into strips and pickle it. Or my dad with the salt for the sill salad, I believe he just rinses it really well um, and then cuts it up and adds it to the salad. I have made pickled herring in Calgary once with a friend and it was from a fresh herring and it was different. It was really good. Um, 
but I haven't made it too much. I like it, but I don't, I don't want to eat a whole jar like my dad could. Yeah. I think your, your dad and I could hang. Yeah. I could eat a jar of pickled herring. Herring's one of those strange fish that in the Netherlands, they have the new herring when it comes out in the summer. And in New York City, there's at the Oyster Bar, they have a new herring kind of festival. And you just sit there and you just eat fillets and fillets. And oh, cool. It's See, I would, I would definitely be into trying that. I can't wait to visit New York City again. What's life in Calgary like? Well, right now it's snowy. We got a bunch of snow last night, which is great. I want to go tobogganing again with Freddie, which is downhill sledding, if, peop- if people don't know what I'm talking about. You know, it's we're in kind of partial lockdown still. Like kids can go to school. Um, a lot of people are working from home um, if, if they're able to. You can go to a restaurant, but you're only supposed to go with people from your household. You still can't have anybody in your house, but we can now meet people outside if we want to. Right. So my, my birthday was on Saturday and a couple friends came over and we sat outside out front and it was really nice, really nice to get to socialize. Do you have the same caseloads as the Americans do and no. in terms of the risk? Okay. So it's easier to meet with friends and it's not as stressful. The biggest problem right now is this new variant, you know, which could throw a wrench in a lot of our progress. Right. And we're really behind in immunizations. I don't, it's a disappointment. My cousin, Jenny, works in um, Minneapolis as a nurse and she's had both her shots, which is a relief. But you know, my grandma, who's, will be 87 in May, hasn't, she has no idea when she's going to get hers. Right. I think in America, we've done a pretty good job at accessibility for first responders and the over 75 crowd. And we're just working through the numbers beyond that. But I'm not sure how long it's going to take for someone like myself. I know. There's just not enough vaccines. Hopefully they can ramp up production somehow and we can get back to it. I just really want to be able to go home sometime this year and see my family. Especially, It's really hard not seeing your family when you have a toddler who's growing and changing all the time. I want them to see that. It makes me sad. I feel it very personally. I used to live in uh, Singapore, which was very far away from my folks. And part of the reason of moving back was when my kids were two. These are years you never get back, sadly, because it's between the kids changing and it's between the elder generation, you know, wherever they are in their timeline on the circle of life. So it's a rather critical time to for everyone to to really have that relationship with each other. Exactly. Like all you can do is hope that as your life is paused, everything else kind of does too, so you don't miss anything. Can we can we talk a bit more about cookbooks? Because I'm curious. I mean, if I went to your house, would I see like big piles of cookbooks? Um, I have a small shelf in my kitchen where I keep the ones I love and use the most frequently. And then in the room that I'm in right now, our library slash office, I have more cookbooks. And this is this, if I'm off base on this, just say, hey, Rob, you're really off base. (laughs) Um, When I was younger, I used to do a lot of armchair traveling. So you'd read these books about these, all these fantastic places. And over time, you get to go to some of those places. But the ability to to sit and dream about the rather big and diverse world out there was very compelling to me. And looking through the choice of the cookbooks that you use and the types of dishes that you make, it almost says that, you know, you've got an adventurous or the soul of a traveler rather, and you're using cookbooks as a means of getting a taste of that, even if for the moment you're stuck in Calgary. Yeah, Absolutely. Like that's not, I guess, the whole reason behind my choice, but I definitely like, uh, there's nothing like traveling, say, to Turkey and and loving it and then 
years later, you cook something and this first bite you take, you're like, tra- you're transported back there. You're like, this is what it tasted like. This is it. Because perhaps at the time you didn't even really know what you were eating. Sometimes you, you do as much research as learn as much as you can before you go, but sometimes things are a bit mysterious. And then later you can kind of rediscover them and figure it out. Part of it too is I just cook what I like. Like if I look at something, I'm like, that looks amazing. Like I want that. I've never even seen that or heard of it. Well, then I want to make it even more. Well, that's why I'm glad you chose the uh, cauliflower cake because I wanted amazing. I wanted amazing and important to you, not so, <laughs> not limited to, oh, by the way, my grandmother was from here or so. Mm-hmm. It's such a great example of showcasing the kind of thing that you would do for a friend. Yeah. I got to then share it with my wife and kids and they were, you know, very excited. Oh, good. And you saw the pictures. I thought it turned out great. I thought it looked really nice. Did your kids like it? They did. We had it for dinner last night. That was the new dish. And then we served it with a variant on chicken paprikash. So I had leftover chicken paprikash that um, I had a nice call with another podcast interview, Susanna Deer, who's Hungarian. And she said for all of the times that she makes chicken paprikash, the day later, she'll make a French crepe and then fill the crepe with the chicken, shredded chicken with a little bit of sauce and then just smother the whole thing rolled up with sauce. So- It's really good. And funny enough, the the um, the sweet peppery and saltiness of the chicken paprikash went perfectly with the hardiness and the, the texture of the cauliflower cake. Nice. I love that. Yeah. So really, really good. And then tonight, well, I'm going to do something else entirely. I'm still working through my uh, Thanksgiving leftovers. Oh, okay. Yeah, actually, I made conch the other week with some um, frozen turkey and uh, some bone broth made from some of the f- bones in the freezer from Christmas. So I've posted that. I think it's, I'm not a big fan of roasted turkey. I'd rather have turkey congee. So I made a very big bird, broke it into six chunks. Everything got, you know, vacuum sealed and frozen. And then I'm going to make a turkey noodle soup with uh, fresh egg noodles. So that should be fun. Well, that sounds so good. I love egg noodles. I saw that you talking about kanji. I saw that you made mooncakes. Yeah, that was that was interesting. I was like, last minute, I'm going to make mooncakes. So I went looking for a mold. And that mold I got is beautiful, but I'm not sure the stamp is, the ridges are tall enough to really make a good impression. However, not having made them before, maybe it was something that I didn't do right with the dough. So the impression didn't last, but they tasted really good. I really, really, really love red bean paste. The mold looked like the real deal. Where did you find the mold? Kijiji. <laughs> huh? And I just went on there and someone was selling one for 15 bucks and Canadian and they were around. So I just went and got it. Deal. Yeah. I'm trying to find the picture now. I posted the uncooked ones because they looked the prettiest with the stamp still, still showing. Ah, okay. And it was nice to like get a wooden mold rather than like a plastic one. But I think I could probably get one that left a deeper impression. Oh, hold on a second. So the cooked version, the stamps kind of went away. Yeah, the impression like, you know, puffed away kind of thing. Right. Even though it wasn't really a puffy pastry or anything. Uh, first of all, the mold is great. The The symbol is uh, fu or fuk in Cantonese for fortune. So it's perfect and timing wise, it's awesome. The In certain places in Asia, you can get all these different variants of mooncakes. And one of them, I forgot the term, but it's basically a translucent semi-gelatinous skin. 
and your uncooked mooncake looks like that. So when I saw it, I said, wow, this is great. But then when I saw the pictures of it with the red bean um, and the cracked, um, the cracked pastry, so it looks like it's a lard pastry, um, it looks great. I mean, but a shame about the decoration. I'll figure it out. I'll try again. Um, you know, my husband, Raymond, grew up, you know, with his parents purchasing mooncakes. And he's like, I don't think anyone ever even really liked them. So I was like, well, maybe we, we should make our own and then we can pick the flavors that we like. And his parents were really happy. So that made me really happy. They're really fun to cook for because they really only eat Chinese food. So anything that I cook, his mom's like, I've never had this before. <laughs> and she's really happy about it. And his dad is a is a Cantonese cook. He retired, but basically still works six days a week. You know, you should see this guy make wontons and like bow. Like he can just pop them. Like he just makes them so fast. He's like a machine. It's all muscle memory with the fingers. Oh, yeah. And it's like I try and like I just can't keep up. But I can't wait until we're allowed to socially gather inside again. And uh, one of my favorite things to do is to sit with my baba, my father-in-law, and for a couple hours, why why my ama, grandma takes care of Freddie and cooks something with him, like wontons or dumplings or and the bao. I even got him to make some vegetarian ones because we we try not to eat too much meat. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was all over that, so it was fun coming up with different combinations. Their English isn't great, and my Cantonese is horrible, so I miss a lot, to be honest. Like Freddie's Cantonese, I tried to learn with him, but he's really surpassed me, and he's almost three. I just, I just, sometimes I just have no idea what's going on, which is fine. Um, and they're from Guangdong and they moved here in around 1980. They met in Calgary and got married here. Um, and they've, you know, since they've had, they had family here before or more families come after. Um, so their cooking is really different than other, than what you would get from a Chinese restaurant, Okay, which is Cantonese. Nothing is ever fried. They don't use very much oil. They do eat meat. So they don't really eat anything that's vegetarian, like unless it was just like a side of greens or something, but they usually would slip in like bits of Chinese sausage. My wife is from, is Cantonese as well, but we met in New York and it was after I lived in Hong Kong. So, and her family, they all moved here when they were reasonably young. So, you know, they're never, except for maybe one or two people that were two or three generations older. And even then it was fine because my Cantonese was passable enough that at least I can say hello and, you know, have simple conversations. Mm-hmm. But being tapped into those food traditions and all the things that surround it, like the grave sweeping and all of that, it's been a real joy for me. It's really, I really enjoy um, being included and in, in learning about things, especially the food. What are your plans for Chinese New Year? So there's the turnip cake in flavor, and it looks epic. And it's definitely something that I've been saving since I got the book for Chinese New Year. So for something like the turnip cake, are you going to make it like just you make it? Or are you going to lean on your father-in-law at all? Or how's that going to work out? This isn't typically something that he would make. The flavors are very different. That's so wild. Um, yeah, like a lot of their Chinese food is just very healthy. And as they've gotten older, I think that um, their palates have changed. His mom really doesn't care for things that are too salty. Um, they can't eat anything that's too crunchy. So some things that I make, I sometimes I have to change it a bit to make sure that it's palatable for them. I remember last year during Chinese New Year, I was in Chinatown with my wife and, and the whole family. And we were watching and one of the restaurants had a big flat screen TV, and they were talking about the start of identified cases in in the U.S. 
And this Chinese New Year is just going to be abysmal mm. because we can't see everybody. And I'm not sure how we're going to celebrate it, but it's you know it's a real loss. I mean, this is a tradition that everyone's been doing since forever. I know. I think um, like I was hoping that maybe by then, but it's not looking like it that we'll be able to hang out. So you know, maybe I'll I'll probably package up some food and deliver it to their house so they can try it. Last year we had them over as well as Raymond's first cousin, her husband, their daughter, and her parents. So that's his auntie and uncle and. Uh, I cooked everything. Raymond's dad cooked a couple things on the side too and helped me with the stir frying of the vegetables because he's like walk master, right? I'm not. I'm getting there maybe. (laughs) And I went out and I bought like new bowls and red napkins and I already had some decorations, but I bought more. And now I have this whole like Chinese New Year arsenal of things I can hang up and put out. And I think I'm going to do a little bit of that for us because why not? Like that's what we did for Christmas. We couldn't spend it with anybody. So I just tried to celebrate Christmas for like the whole month. I made things all the time. That's I think a lot of that baking started around then and I've just continued with it. So you just have to like do it even if it's just for your little family. It's still a celebration. We're going to have to do something because every year we would go for the, the parade in, in lower Manhattan and throw the poppers on the ground and, and make a lot of noise. And I think we're going to have to figure out how to do something, not the same, but at least something more than, you know, something significant. Exactly. You know, it's still happening. You just don't get to celebrate it with the wider world in person, but you can do it over Instagram. Other people will be pleased to see your food and Happy that you're posting it. I'm going to. Are you going to be posting Chinese food on your uh, Instagram or is it just going to be Facebook only? I'll put it on both. The only thing that I do that's only on Facebook are the cook-alongs. Got it. Partly because a lot of people that I Instagram with are in Europe. So the time differences are tricky. Whereas my Facebook friends, are they're, they're all in Canada or in the States in one case too. Okay, fantastic. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, like, that's cool. Because I've, yes. I've, been, I've been saving that recipe for that since I saw it. Turnip cakes are awesome. Like you've had them, right? I think I have. One of my good friends, Vicky, is Chinese. And uh, typically she goes back to Edmonton every year to spend it with her family. And she's brought me some like really good food. Like her parents really like, they go all out, you know, like marinating things forever and preparing everything. And she comes home with a bunch of food. And we were both on mat leave and I went there for lunch. And she... uh she had a bunch of food for me and it was so good. <laughs> and that one of them was the turnip cake and the other was a taro cake. And last year I made that for the first time and it worked out really well and I was happy. The taro cake is a deep fried and it puffs up great. So the taro cake was steamed. Oh, okay. And then you cut it into slices and you can fry it if you want. Raymond's dad just wanted to heat them up, but Raymond and I were like, no, 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 we, need, we want that crispiness. We want that added texture because it's quite soft otherwise. I sent you a link for the turnip cake that I'm accustomed to. Okay. And it's called, you know, Lobaco in Cantonese. Are you going to be making some something like this? Oh, Walks of Life. I love that website. Yeah, Walks of Life is good. There was this one, and what was the other one? Omnivorous Kitchen. It was either this website or the other one that I got the tarot cake from. This turnip cake, like without looking at any of the ingredients, looks similar. When I had a conversation with a Chinese foodie, she's based in London, but originally from Wuhan, um, we talked about different websites. And she turned me on to a bunch of YouTube pages that are all in Chinese, but have like English subtitles. Okay. And obviously, it's, you know, it's as real as it gets, like, do that and it'll turn out great. And some of it is, you know, there are pockets of information that are out there that they're available, but maybe not so accessible because you just don't know. Mm-hmm. But being tapped into those circles, you really get to learn a lot. Yeah. Cause sometimes like it could take you years and you stumble across something, right? Unless someone tells you about it. 
And I always try, I'm balancing between trying to make something that looks delicious, but also something that means something to Raymond's parents, because a lot of the foods that you choose for the different Chinese occasions are symbolic. Yes. So if I'm having them over and cooking, I still want, yeah, I want to make something new and delicious, but I also want to, you know, like pay respect to, to that. Yes. And so I have to ask Raymond's like, okay, I think we did longevity noodles, carrot coins and things like that. Um, do you think your parents would like this or should I maybe balance this out with something that's a bit plainer for their palate? I assume he's he's uh, communicative and instructive or does he say, oh, it's just fine. Just do what you like. Oh, no, he ha- he has an opinion for that's, sure. It's better that yeah. way, actually. <laughs> no, it totally is. Else I wouldn't ask, right? And I, and I want it to be special for them. It's their, you know, and I want it to be something for Freddie. I want, because I don't think that they're very festive people. I really am. And my parents absolutely are. Um, you know, one of their biggest saddest points of Christmas was not being able to have their open house Christmas Eve party. Right. Which I can tell you has meant to many a hungover Christmas morning. They're really fun people. And so I want Freddie to grow up having these traditions every year, you know, from both sides of the family. What's got your interest recently? What types of cookbooks and what types of cuisines? Definitely those that are more vegetarian or vegan. I'm enjoying all of the different ingredients that Otto Lange uses, and I love seeing them in other cookbooks too, partly because I have a pantry full of a lot of things I need to use up. Um, I also purchased um, Sabrina Gayors, I think I'm saying her name correctly, Simply, and I really like that book because, as you know, um, Otto Lange recipes can take quite a bit of time to prepare, and honestly, Freddie wakes up early, and sometimes by dinner time, I'm tired. And uh, I have to make a dish, make it look pretty, take a picture. It's winter, so I have to set up a light, and then... You know, Raymond gets him bundled up for bed and I do the dishes and sometimes I'm just like, ugh. So having a book that is a lot more straightforward but yet delivers so much on flavor is incredible. I have been looking online at Mira Soda's East and I'm really intrigued, but I don't know if I want to drop 50 bucks on another cookbook right now. And the most exciting thing I've heard so far this year is that um, Newer from Newerish by Newer, who works in Otto Lenghi's Test Kitchen, is coming out with a cookbook later this year. And I am ordering that from the UK as soon as it comes out. I can't wait. Your baking game is super, super strong. Yeah. And I didn't anticipate my baking skills, <laughs> but it's turning out to be pretty good. I just don't bake a lot because, you know, if I make a pie, I'm going to eat too much of it. So the key is giving stuff away to neighbors as soon as it's ready to serve. <laughs> I looked at the video that was attached to the braided onion bread quite longingly. That When I saw that bread, I'm like, I'm making that. And I got up the next day and just did it. And there are a number of pies and loaves. Do you have uh, Claire Saffet's dessert person book? I don't. That recipe was online, luckily. So I was able to participate because that was another um, collab with uh, Rainy Day Bites, which is probably one of my favorite ones. I like to participate a lot. I haven't done any collabs yet, and I'd like to try. Well, you know what's a really fun one? It's great pastatations every Thursday. So it can be any pasta, doesn't matter any Thursday, you can post it. And I like that one because it's simple. Kids like pasta. Are these open communities? So I can just take a look and say, okay, I'll follow the rules and try. Yeah. And some of them, you need, if you go to their the bio, and sometimes I find it hard. I have to like, you know, read a few people's entries to find out whose account I should be looking at. Um, some of them, you might just have to message them and then they just send you kind of the rules or the guidelines. Um, and then some of them, it's just like, just go ahead and post, just use this tag and, you know, participate. So this great pastatations, you can just jump in. I'm going to give that a try. 
and it's Lady Dega on Corked and I'm not sure how to say, I think it's Vibu Spice of Life. It's Anna and Vicky anyway. And they're very, they're very wonderful. And I like to, I like to participate with that one. So what's next for you? You mean like in the big picture? Well, I mean, in the, I guess in the big cooking picture, I'm wondering how much of, of all of our journey on Instagram, how much of it is, what's our next, next thing? One of the things that I've noticed about, and, and one of the things that I enjoy a lot about your posts is as the months kind of went further on, there's a lot more emphasis in writing a really compelling narrative. So the pictures are a joy. You, you take beautiful pictures. Oh, thank you. The writing, though, it, it you really capture each moment. Because I think you're not just cooking dishes. You're cooking important things for you. And that means a lot to me. I, The cooking is awesome. And I, of course, I love being complimented on that. But the writing means more to me. I don't know why, but it, it does. So I guess a bit of history would help. So I am a librarian, like I have a master's in library and information science from University of Wisconsin. I did that degree online a number of years ago. My, you know, the best position I had was running a technical library at an engineering firm. Our oil and gas scene plummeted. So many librarians working in the corporate sector got laid off, myself included. Like my husband and I were laid off on the same day with tons of other people. Just kind of how things have been rolling out here for a while. I did find another job doing research at a stock footage and photography company, which was cool. Um, but it, you know, it wasn't super challenging. It wasn't really what I wanted. And then I got pregnant and had Freddie. I'm 42. I don't know if I'm going to have another kid. Um, I really wanted to be at home with him and enjoy those, you know, as you say, short years while they last. So I'm not working right now. And I love food. And I would love to work in food. I just never really wanted to work at a restaurant and work evenings and nights when everybody else in my life works and lives an opposite schedule. And I don't want to go back to school at this point, not for years anyway. You know, two two degrees, paid those off. That took a while. Um, you know, I'm kind of done with that. I want something in food. So I just feel like I'm hustling every day just to try to to be present, to be there. I love participating. It makes me feel happy. I feel busy. I feel positive. I feel like I'm growing. Um, so I don't really know what I want. I'm just going to keep trying and, and hope that something comes to me if I put the effort into. It's a common dynamic. And I think also the act of putting yourself out there and putting your food and your thoughts out there, it's its a very personal thing that you're doing. And I think you've made some really great people connections through the process, no? Absolutely. And that's so meaningful. But everyone has their thing that they can say, okay, this is this is working out for me and this is, you know, these are things that I'm doing that are that are okay and I'm enjoying it. And these are things that I'm doing that are getting some resonance and that are that's sticking. I haven't figured out what that is yet. But have you gotten any early leads or any sense that, you know, these are the vibes that are getting some resonance in in the universe? There's a lot of Otto Lenghi vibes going on for sure. There's a lot of people on that wavelength. So like every time you post something auto Lenghi, someone's interested. And if he reposts something on like a story, like makes your year. <laughs> and it definitely helps your followers shoot up. Sure. Um, you know, sometimes I might think, oh, like, wouldn't it be nice if someone followed me for my food? But who cares? You know, like it's still, it's delicious food created with enthusiasm and shared with love and more enthusiasm, really. Um 
And I find that the more I interact and stay engaged when I do post something that I made up, people are interested too, and that feels good. Doing the work and making the dishes all you, and the engagement is all you, and even the curation of what you choose to make, it's really unique. Actually, that keeps popping up. That's really nice to hear. Thank you. I don't think I really, I really realized that. And I'm just being myself there. So that really means something. <laughs> I mean, no, you have a master's degree in library science, like the, you know, piecing together uh, uh, matrices of information and, and, and putting together data points, I would think would be like right in your wheelhouse. Yeah, it is. I think I liked what the most about my librarian job was the social part. <laughs> um, I really did. I like helping. I'm an ENFJ, if that means anything to you, the giver. So I really do yes. enjoy making other people happy. It makes me feel good. Do you think most people who are in our circles ENFJs? Maybe. It would be so interesting to know. I am I know I'm an INTJ. Ooh, I think you're the same as my husband. Which is more of the analytical type, which is probably why yeah. the most exposed I'll be is you'll hear my voice, but not necessarily a video. I think if I was an ENTJ, you'd probably see more videos. Oh, I don't love the video thing either, though. I just pretend, I just try not to care anymore. The last thing I'll mention, the lemon and black currant stripe cake. You, did you make that? I'm in awe. How did you do that? I did. You know what? One Another great thing about Olenki is their cookbooks are amazing. Every recipe is well tested. They're well written. And I just was like, I am just going to follow this recipe to a T. I did somewhere on Instagram months ago, see a really short video of Helen rolling it. And I was like, you know, it doesn't look that hard. Um, and once I, basically when you look at the picture, you're like, what? How do you get vertical stripes in a cake? But when you see the process, it, it, it begins to make more sense. The hardest part for me was icing it. I don't have any any skill that I have in that is is self-taught. Well, most most of the skills are self-taught, I suppose, but That's wonderful. I've just cooked a lot more than I've baked, so icing a cake hasn't come up much. But I told my husband I just wanted time for my birthday to make a cake, and I got that, so I just took my time and did it in the morning when I'm at my best and tried to be careful. He kept Freddie busy. I think he took him for a car ride. They went to the library that morning or something like that. And yeah, so I just made my cake. And it was a busy day because I also made that lasagna, which I'm not going to lie, I dreamt about for weeks. Like I saw that recipe and I was like, I must have this. And I saw a few other people, um, four of us anyway, made it for our birthdays. Umami from, from scratch posted uh, a four by four of the four of us that did it. And it was like, well, yeah, it's a perfect birthday dinner. <laughs> and it really delivers on the leftovers, too, if you have any. So it was really nice to have that for lunch for a few days in a row. But it did cost about $35 Canadian just for the dried mushrooms. So it was kind of a celebratory meal. Yeah, but so good. Like, okay, porcini mushrooms, dried ones, I had no idea. I had no idea. They're amazing. They're fantastic. Just that. Like as soon as you uh, start soaking them, that smell that comes off them is just amazing. Do you have a sweet tooth? Yep, but not more than my savory tooth. <laughs> no, I'm looking at the pomegranate and poppy seed wings. Oh yeah, those are yummy. Is it sweet? Yeah, I think so. Super sweet. They were pretty sweet. Like it's been a bit since I made those, but they were sweet. But I know some people don't like sweet meat things, but um, I'm really not a very picky eater at all. So things that are on my list of things to do, P-Days are always things to do. Yes. Because I'm, I'm kind of, I figured out the whole pizza dough thing as a result of the pandemic. Okay. Um, and 
now I'm pizza, not pizza out because you can't really be pizza yeah, out. I, I agree. But, you know, I want to take a, a turn, or what, you know, in a different direction. And I think PDAs get you there. Yeah, I think so too. And um, the one that I made was from Aslam's Turkish Table. And that's a cookbook and her website I really love. And she seems like such a lovely person. But it's like, you know, eat it at room temperature or even cold. I think Holly said that too. I made two of them. We ate one with Freddie and then got him ready for bed. And then that later that night, we watched a movie and we ate more that had been sitting on the counter. And it was really good. You know, you think pizza should be hot, but no, the flavors really developed and kind of stood out more after it sat. I thought that was pretty cool. And it's also not the the kind of cheese that demands a warm temperature for the, the gooiness. That's right. The feta doesn't really melt a lot anyway. Sarah, this has been a fun conversation. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for asking.